The Dental Amigos are excited to announce the most fun, the most friendly, and the most nacho-filled CE course in the history of dentistry. Join Paul and Rob on Friday, September 21st, and Saturday, September 22nd in Philadelphia with Dr. Pasquale Venuti all the way from Italy. Pasquale will be sharing innovative ways to save teeth that usually need to be extracted, along with mind-blowing techniques to improve your class two restorations. Our signature Friday night social event will bring you face-to-face with the Amigos, as well as dentists from all over the country. Make new friends, learn, and have fun. Isn't that what dental CE should be about? We are doing CE right. The Amigo way, the Nacho way. Register now at thedentalamigos.com. Doing CE the right way, the Nacho way, the Amigo way. Register at thedentalamigos.com, and we'll see you in September. Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are the Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery, and I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Hey, Rob. Great to be here. It's good to have you, Paul. Always good to see you. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Dental Amigos. And uh, today, Paul, it's just us. Yeah, no problem. I could talk for two people, so I will come through. Hopefully, you and I can figure out how to carry a conversation for a half an hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be a tough challenge. It hasn't been yet, but... So uh, today we're going to talk about buy-ins, which is a topic that could easily take uh, three or more episodes uh, on its own. And uh, buy-ins come in all shapes and sizes. And frankly, as you've heard me say a number of times, Paul, uh, they are probably the most potentially problematic transaction that a dentist can engage in. Because I mean, I'm glad we're, glad we're talking about it because as a broker and someone who counsels and helps young dentists, it's the most popular question to say, you know, I'm going to join in with this dentist who wants me to buy in. And it's just, it sounds like something that would be good and easy, but I found out learning through you and some of the deals we've done that there's just a lot of challenges. I'm glad we're going to dig into this. Yeah, definitely. There are a lot of challenges. And I think what people don't realize, you know, when you're transitioning a practice, when you're just buying it outright, you're generally doing that as an asset purchase agreement. You're only buying the good, the assets, not the bad. When you're doing a buy-in, typically you're buying the stock from a departing doctor. So you're buying, it's a stock sale. So you're buying the assets and the liabilities. You're stepping into those shoes. So right away, that in and of itself is is a trickier situation. Yeah, I could see that. I think most young dentists or even older dentists uh, don't know the first step to start with that. And uh, uh, they'll be able to sort of get a uh, roadmap or at least some things to look out for today. Yeah, hopefully. So, you know, just generally, so everybody's on the same page. When we're talking about buy-in, we're really talking about someone who's buying into an existing practice and they're becoming a partner with somebody who's already an established partner okay, in that practice. So, you know, I think, you know, let's, let's talk about the top five things to look for well, with buy-ins. And I, I know you can help us with that, Rob. So uh, give us uh, number five. Number five, I'm going to say uh, the importance of the valuation and uh, cash flow analysis. So what we're talking about here is really CPA accounting due diligence. You know, as, as you know, 
there are somebody does a valuation of a practice doesn't necessarily mean right, that's yeah. what it's worth, yes. right? There's many ways to when, for most of your clients. Where do they start with getting that valuation or the cash flow analysis? That's definitely a CPA driven thing. So you want you know if the practice has a broker or a consultant or a CPA that's working with a practice or the uh, the partner that's that's selling the stock, they're probably going to generate a valuation just like when you're doing a, a typical practice transition gotcha. uh, as a broker. So then it's important for, uh, for the associate or the dentist that's buying in to get their own independent uh, analysis of that stuff. It doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a full-scale, full-blown valuation, some 50-page thing that kind of redoes yeah. what the practice valuation is. But get somebody to look at it, test it, make sure that it's, you know, nothing's really out of whack and that the, the number that's being asked here for the, for the purchase is within the range of something that's reasonable. I have a good question and it will help me uh, with what I do as a, as a broker. In this world of these, I sort of see this two ways where there's an associate already working in the practice uh, looking at this or maybe someone who's coming in new. The seller or the owning dentist, do they have uh, a lot of resistance to giving up this, these information to your, to your clients or are they pretty easy to get? Usually it's pretty easy to get. Okay. Uh, you know, it certainly behooves them to, to give that information. Yeah. You know, but you know, you see it too. Sometimes yeah, right. people get a little goofy and I they think that somebody is willing to buy something without knowing what it is. Sort of like, you know, will you buy this practice behind curtain number yeah, three? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Let's, 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 nope. make a, let's make a deal. I told it was on when I was home from school when I was sick, let's make a deal in prices white. Right? right. That's the age I'm at. So yeah, I remember right. that behind door number two. Right. Uh, so but so it behooves them to provide that information. Um Okay, great. Give us. But, uh, but so let me say. So that's one aspect of what you're doing with an accountant. The other thing, which you've heard me talk about, we've done some uh, some presentations together, and this is something that's less intuitive that people don't realize as much is to get an accountant to do a cash flow analysis. So when we had Johnny Cataldo on, he was talking about being basically doing a cash flow analysis with whether or not to participate in right, certain oh, yeah. insurance plans. Right. Same kind of thing when you're looking at a buy-in. And you, do, you should do this to some extent when you're buying a practice, too. Right. But especially with a buy-in, how much can you expect to earn after you've paid the loan and gotten your, your profit distribution and gotten paid for practicing dentistry? So you, know, you need to know kind of what that, what that number is. And there are you know, a lot of accountants that, that understand this, this whole space, these dental-specific people that are good, you know, will say, just because the purchase price is right, the valuation is good, doesn't mean that it's a good deal. Yeah, right? I can see that. I mean, it's, I mean, just kind of goes to the core message of our podcast of teaching you things they didn't learn in dental school because it's a, it's a nice thing. You know, a lot of dentists don't realize that some of these deals can wind up with uh, less cash flow or less money for both parties, and it's not even something good to step into. But as a dentist, you think, you know, why wouldn't you want someone to partner with you and you know, be on the same team as you. But I kind of think of it like uh, pizza, right? Like, right. you know, there might not be enough pizza to share, and people get very upset when that happens. Right. And in this case, pizza's money. So yeah. you know, it's a great analogy. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's truly the case. And we've had people come to us you know, who are not people that we worked with before that said, "I did this bad deal. Tell me about it." And they say, "Well, I'm not making as much money as I thought I would." how much money did you think you were going to make? And they'll throw out a number and I'll say, well, what was that based on? Well, I don't know. I just, that's kind of what I figured without any kind of analysis or right, scientific yeah. you know, process to try to drill down and say, because there are a lot of things that are unpredictable post-transaction, post-transition, but there are a lot of things that are quite predictable. Right, yeah. you know? And you should at least have an idea of what you're getting involved in and not sort of wait and say, well, three months in, 
Wonder how much I'm right, going to yes, make. Yeah, yeah, wow, right. that's Especially a lot. Right? taking out a loan, and you know, it's, and it's just comes going back to early episodes in our, our podcast. Just because you can service a loan doesn't mean it's a successful endeavor either. So it's important for listeners to understand, like you know, the goal, like you have said, is you know, uh, not failing is not the goal. So you know, right. someone who was used to making X amount as an associate now as a partner has more responsibilities and doesn't have more money out of it. It just could be a tough thing for the morale of both parties. So, yeah, for sure. You know. Not even just responsibility, liability. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, it's like to make, you know, do you want to, to borrow $500,000 to make $15,000 a year more? Right, yeah. Oh, uh, I don't know. Right. Maybe yeah. not, you know. Yeah, I, I, uh, I can see that. Well, that's a great number five, the importance of valuation and the cash flow analysis. Uh, what would uh, number four be? I'd say, uh, you know, it's important to understand what a statement in an associate agreement that the practice will consider bringing on the associate as a partner in the future is whether or not that's enforceable. So what I'm talking about is commonly what you'll see in an associate agreement where the practice and the associate address this issue may say, if after the first anniversary or the second anniversary of the associate's employment, uh, if things are going well, then the practice and the associate will meet to discuss the possibility of the associate buying okay. it. Okay. Big surprise, Paul. Legally, that's not enforced. Yeah, right. I know. That's, and and it's, it's usually, I, I deal with this a lot with a lot of my either buyer coaching clients or just friends from you know, residencies where they're waiting and waiting to buy in, but this conversation has never happened. And it seems like even if there was language in the beginning, it's, it's hard to get that. Um, or I guess maybe you're telling me it's kind of impossible to make that happen. Yeah, it kind of is. I mean, I tell people, you know, it's really, it's nice that the practice put that in there because if they're acting in good faith, at least it shows that yeah. there's a willingness to do that, which is great. And, you know, that takes you pretty far. But again, if they don't do it, you can't file a lawsuit against them and say, well, geez, it's been two years and nobody has sat down with me to discuss this. And I'm, I'm assuming uh, it's a genuine question that the associate can also decide to pursue other endeavors elsewhere. It's not like the, because that language is in there, the owner could say, oh, hey, you were supposed to wait to buy in. Is that, is that reasonable? It is. Yeah, it, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, it's really, it's like you and I were talking about at the outset. It's like the dating period. Right, yeah, right? it's very you true. Know? Yeah. You know, that does anybody want to say like next, uh, you know, we're going to get together and we're going to hire you and uh, five months from now, we're going to get married. Yeah, right, you know, I like, know. Wow. Oh, what if we don't like each other? Yeah, right? but I, mean, I was uh, you know, saying like, you know, it's better just to see how it goes. And I tell, I tell uh, dentists on both sides that, you know, for me, when an older dentist comes and says, you know, can you, can you find me a dentist to work with me? I've never had an associate before. And also, can you find, if, find out if they would want to buy in? Because that's very important to me. I tell them, you know, don't even say that part. You know, just start with the associate you want to work for because it's your practice. And right. maybe you'll find out you don't even like to have an associate. And right. what's interesting, and we've talked about this numerous times, is, uh, you know, a solo dentist, uh, it's not like they have the work for an associate just by magic because they want it, right? So it has to be a whole shift in how they operate and how they think and how the team thinks. So it's much easier to say, let's see how this goes like the dating period and decide not to trigger as opposed to put in someone's mind the expectations that you're definitely going to associate and then buy in because that's usually when people, um, especially dentists who, you know, I, I, I encourage them to think more and feel less, but they're very feeling-based people will just feel almost hurt by the process. So, right. you know, just wait till that part later. When it's going well, bring that part up. Absolutely. Well, expectations <laughs> yeah. are, you know, yeah, our, right. our failed expectations yeah. are the seed for, for a lot of discord, right? No, I think that's a... Uh, uh, a super important point. Uh, so we've got the importance of valuation and the cash flow analysis and whether a statement in the associate agreement, I think it's important for our listeners who are going to be associates, that the practice will consider bringing on an associate as a partner is enforceable. 
what would be a, a third point in this, uh, things to look at for buy-ins? Okay, so we're now, the way we're kind of doing this, we're getting the things that I think are less obvious, right? Okay. Now, this is one that's always comes as a surprise to people because it's not necessarily intuitive and it doesn't necessarily make sense, okay. but it's just the way it is. And that's that if, uh, if an associate is buying into a practice or anybody, if they're not associated with the practice, anybody buying into the practice is going to go to a bank and get a loan to finance that purchase price, that bank is going to require a first lien on the assets of the practice that the, that the associate's buying into. Okay. So, what, and the lien, what we're talking about, is essentially almost like a mortgage, right? Okay. In, in the law, it's a security interest in this collateral, and the collateral is the practice's assets. That doesn't mean that the practice is going to necessarily guarantee the associate's loan, okay. but it means that the practice's assets are, are up for grabs if the associate doesn't pay their loan, which, you know, is a little weird because here it is, we're the practice, right? And right. This person's borrowing this money. And now we're basically giving the collateral for his loan or her okay. loan, uh, which is a little a little funky. Yes, okay. it's hard for me to follow now. So, what is this in, in uh, sort of take home points to sell to the owning dentist? Then we'll come in. What's that mean that the owning dentist has some risk associated? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have to you have to understand if you're going to sell if your practice is worth a million dollars and you're selling half of it for $500,000 to use easy, easy numbers for the math, uh, you have to realize that this $500,000 you're getting comes with a lien on your assets for the practice. So if they don't pay it, you would may, maybe have to buy those assets back from the I bank. See. So in other words, the seller, the buyer, I'm sorry, the seller in that situation shouldn't take that $500,000 and go to Vegas. Oh, I see, right? gotcha, right. Yeah. Keep that money someplace. Yeah. Because if the associate defaults, you might have to kind of give it back to the bank to buy back what you have. Um, and so, but this is a conversation that I always like for people to have at the outset. And you know, when I'm representing uh, somebody, and typically we're on the buyer side okay. in these types of deals, but I always like to have that conversation at the outset and say, hey, does the seller, do they realize that there's going to be a lien on the practice's assets? Because that's a deal killer in a lot of situations where people, they say, hey, I've never had a, a debt on this practice in the last 25 years, it's free and clear. Now, all of a sudden, I'm going to have liens on my practice. I don't want to do this. I mean, to some degree, and it's, it's interesting, it really does mirror the dating marriage work because I feel like, you know, the banks and the people almost need like a, a psychologist involved, or at least, I mean, is this actually a, a genuine question too? Does the, does the bank giving the loan ask to see that these two are getting along? Or is there, is there such thing as that? Or like, you know, is there, or how do they prove that? You know, it's, it, you know when, you, when I'm just doing a traditional sale, there's yeah. cash flow, someone buys it, the bank assumes they're gonna do the same thing. It's, it seems to be um, much less subjective. But yeah. now it's like, these two not only have to do dentistry well together, they have to get along well right. uh, throughout the process. So it's like you, I could see how a seller would be resistant to that, but it also seems like the seller is sort of saying, well, hey, I really want a partner then, if they would be willing to do that. Absolutely. So it's like a hurdle they jump over to, to say, hey, I'm ready for this. Huge litmus test. Gotcha. So, so then the other sort of species of that that is even trickier is where you have, let's just say, two partners where one is leaving and a new person is coming in and buying that, that person out who's exiting. So now you may have a situation where the practice is free and clear, and now unlike where you just have one partner who's selling half of their interest, now the person who's leaving is getting the money, but the guy who's left behind with the new partner has this practice with a lien right, on yeah. it for this loan, 
that's that that his, that his partner paid to his former partner. That's a funky thing. Yeah, too. I could see see that. Do you recommend not recommend, but do you see, you know, in air in partnerships where one partner wants to depart and retire, and then there's a partner ten years younger. Does that partner usually purchase the whole practice and then find an associate, or is it, or you do deals where it's a real switcheroo, where there's a young person coming in, buying the older person out, and because my my question, maybe it's hard to understand, is is that young person working in the practice for a period of time with the two people, you know, like usually not. Okay, usually not. Um, you know, occasionally you'll see them come in for some short period of time as an associate. But oftentimes those opportunities might just be the way that they're marketed, you know, that somebody wants to sell half of their yeah. practice. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a tricky thing. That's the ultimate blind date, right? Yeah, the right. Yeah. sticking behind. The guy that's leaving doesn't care. And, you know, as we've talked about, this way, you know, point of our podcast and for our listeners to, you know, understand whether you're a seller, whether you're midway through your career is that, you know, for me, for who helps young dentists find a lot of jobs that, you know, if a if the middle-aged partner purchased the entire practice and only needed to find an associate to work there for a period of time, it's almost like that's an easier ask sometimes. Right. And they can kind of test out and they can handle it because, you know, sometimes these younger dentists need, need geographic flexibility. You know, sometimes we'll say, I want someone to come in and buy this practice. Well, maybe if it's in Philadelphia or New York or even, you know, Conshohocken, that's easy. But if it sometimes is an area where they're not sure they're going to want to live long term, that's a tough right. one too. And uh, now that I see this, and I, I learned myself with the lean here, that's, that's just a really important point. And I can see how that is less uh, obvious. So and one more thing I'll say sure. that's, that's another nuance that people need to kind of think about sometimes with this is if the practice, we were talking about the situation where the practice doesn't have debt at the time that this happens. If the practice does have a loan, right, they have a lender who has a first lien on all the assets. If the, if the buying in doctor's bank once uh, first lien on those same assets, well, that doesn't work, I right? See. So in that situation, one of two things kind of needs to happen. Either the associate who's buying in needs to borrow that money from the same lender that already has the existing loan with the practice, okay. or the practice has to go out and refinance that loan with the same bank that the doctor buying in uh, is using for their purchase. So that the same lender has both of those loans and they're the one, they have the lien on the, on, the, uh, on the assets. Otherwise, you get in the situation where if they're two different lenders, they both are competing to be in the first position for the same assets oh, and the yeah. liens on the same thing. You know, so sometimes, and this is, again, really important to get your arms around this stuff early on yeah. because if the practice needs to go and refinance their debt, you want to find that out when you are 60 days out from closing yeah. instead of, Hey, guess what? We've got the loan papers, and here's this uh, here's this document. Oh, guess what? The bank's got a problem with this uh, not being a first position here. Now we're going to have to start at that point to think about maybe refinancing. And as you know, in the transition yeah. world, Paul, once you get to those sort of bumps in the road when you get too far along the deal, that's a good way to to create or yeah, no, I can see. I mean, I can see from your your um, so unwinding this or showing or peeking behind the curtain, this it's just it's much more complex than you know traditional transitions. Where I see a lot of things. What's interesting about it is you know if you're the broker in a traditional transition, everybody's talking and doing a lot for a period of time. Let's just call it four months. Everybody knows each other, but then once the closing happens, a lot of people never speak to each other again. You know the the seller has moved to Arizona, right. the bank has the relationship with them. But in this situation, you're saying where you know the the owner and the the new partner have to have the same bank so it's you know there's there's just a lot of um uh nuances to it like you said well yeah. uh, 
So if we're keeping track here, we got the importance of the valuation, the cash flow analysis, uh, whether a statement in an associate agreement uh, that the practice will consider bringing on an associate as a partner is enforceable. And then our third here, we have financing and the lender's requirement that if, uh, that if they have a first lien on the practice assets, it can be a deal killer or a problem if the practice is uh, free and clear. And now we're, as we move down, uh, what's the uh, second thing you should look for? Number two, uh, the countdown here, right? Yeah, I like that. Uh, deals with real estate. You know, will the, uh, the buyer, the associates buying in, be permitted to buy into the real estate entity if the practice or the owners of the practice also own the building okay. or the office? What, what do you see most commonly with that or what, what what's happens? Yeah, I, I see it really, it's kind of 50-50. And when I represent uh, a buyer and I see a seller who doesn't want their future partner in the practice to be right. their partner in the real estate, I immediately ask, why not? Yeah, I mean, that, that to me, you know, that seems to be a, a tough uh, expectation setting of the uh, new, of the, of the owner or the existing owner to this, who is new partner, to his or her new partner, because... I'm trying to think of a good marriage comparison, and I can't, but it'd be like, I'd like to do all this, but when we go on vacation, I don't want you to come, you know, or well, something, you know. Well, how about like this, Paul? I'd like to marry you half the time. <laughs> right, yeah, right, yeah, yeah I yeah. really want to be your partner yeah. half the yeah. time. Yeah, you know, and that why is such a good good, good question, because and what do they usually say? I mean, I'm totally curious. What When they say, I don't want the new owner to be part of it, what's their why for that usually? It's, I rarely hear a good reason. It just really comes down to they want the control or you know they want to continue to make the money off of that asset, and it's you know their quote unquote investment, uh, you know, not good reasons I can tell you. And one um, of the things I get you know as we're the amigos and help each other understand each other's world in this way, and I you know I'm lucky enough to spend time in, in the the law office here and see you know it's a lot calmer than a dental office and what happens every day, and that you know when you're in a dental office together there's so much. FaceTime and talk time with your partner over stuff that's happening in that building, right? right? Unhappy patient, unhappy staff member, that under the best of scenarios, it's very difficult. So I couldn't imagine if, you know, there was some sort of unequal footing with the real estate. It just feels like it would be a, a real challenge to overcome from a, a personal perspective from the new the new person buying in. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's that's the problem I have because Typically, what you're going to see when the practice or the, the owners also own the real estate is there are going to be two entities. There's going to be the real estate entity and the practice entity. And the practice entity is going to pay the real estate entity rent. Right. Well, for tax reasons and business planning purposes, the rent may, might be better if the rent is higher. Right, you know, yeah. which right, yes. If your partners, if you're 50-50 on both sides, you don't really care right. what the rent, if the rent's a dollar or $10,000, right? Because... You know, it's just you're, you're going from your left pocket to your right pocket. But if you're 50-50 on the practice and the rent is too high and you're not on oh, yeah. the, the receiving end of that, the real estate entity, then, you know, you could have, you could have a problem there. And even if it's, even if it's not uh, dramatic, it's like that pizza example. No one likes when someone takes the extra slice behind their back. So it's like Absolutely. you could see it, it might not even be something ultra dramatic from, a, from an financial standpoint, you know, but uh, that's why just being on the same page and just having the shared goals of, you know, hey, if the rent, if, the, if we're going to make the rent a little higher, it's to be both of our benefits. Right. Because we don't have to pay unemployment tax on that piece of it, something mm -hmm. to that nature. And, it, you know, I just, I try to put myself in the mind of the, of the selling dentist. 
to me, it also would be nice they could just get 50% of the real estate value too, right. which is just, they're in a different life situation than this young person. So that's what sometimes I think the in these generational issues with these buyers and sellers, they're just, in, their life situations are so different. So the younger person's thinking, you know, I'm taking on all this debt, they would want to have this real estate piece as something to look forward to. And then the old, older dentist is, he's the guy who's getting the thing to look forward to. Your building's right. with $500,000, you get two hundred and fifty. I think you would appreciate that part of it. You know? Yeah. So <laughs> well, this is this is the same in, in in your transition world too. And you know, we see this a lot. You know, where you have an older dentist who doesn't want to sell the real estate as part of the deal. Right. They want to sell the practice, not the real estate. And I just scratch my head, Paul, and say, well, who are you going to sell this right, yeah. to? Like, do you think some some commercial real estate investor is going to come along and buy this standalone single unit building that's two thousand square right. feet, has one tenant? as a dentist like the only the only audience for this is the owner operator and you know, I, I completely agree and that's why I understand like usually these these dentists are in their late mid 60s to to early 70s like this was the time to do it right it's like staying at a Vegas blackjack table for too long right, right? I mean you could be left with nothing at the end and whatever rental income you may make for a few years it's I mean their advisors should be telling them take this Take it from take the money from the person because mm -hmm. what if they what if they say you know and especially in this New Jersey Philadelphia New York area it could be a four operatory practice and what if the guy buying in is just is just a star and buying the practice is a star and he's going to move the whole thing in five right. years right then you know you're left with an older place like you said and the the audience there's is there isn't an audience because I'm dealing with that where a guy a real estate commercial real estate broker in our town says you know don't you want this space and open up another practice I'm like no I don't want it I mean it's just a risk for me to purchase it. And like we kind of goes back to all these episodes we have. You can't just do a startup for fun. Right. It has to be calculated, yeah. right? So, you know that's why these dentists. I see that. Uh, so, um, well, that's it, and that's why I say to, to the sellers. You know, it's it's an entirely illiquid asset at that right. point. You could say my building is worth a million dollars. Well, it's only worth a million dollars if you could sell it to somebody for a million dollars. Right. And if you're not selling it to the person who's who's buying your practice, who are you going to sell it to? And I'm a big fan of hey, if you like. Real estate as an investment, awesome. I think it's yeah. cool. Then sell the real estate for the building and take that money and go buy some real estate that is more liquid. Right, go yeah. buy a five-unit apartment building that you could trade like a, a commodity, right, yeah. know, basically, and say, hey, guess what? I'm at a point in my retirement in my life. Now I'm going to draw on some of that money. You know, Let's sell the building and, and do right. something with that. You don't have that luxury if, if there's really a pool of, buyers of, of one, yeah, basically, no, you know? I totally agree with me. It's the same as it shows that real estate complicates the complicates it, but if people look at it in a positive way, I'm just positive, it complicates it sometimes for a good reason. There's an extra asset, both parties can partake of the upside of it. Sure. Uh, they just have to get on the same page with expectations. And once again, I mean, this is just perfect. It's, I'm the dentist here, it's like, there's, there's such little about business in dental school and there's nothing about this, which is, what you're telling us, and I see, it just becomes a big piece of these transitions. You know, mm -hmm. whether it's a, a buy-in or a traditional sale. Well, and you know my take on real estate. You know, it's it's crucial, right? Yeah, right. Without the dental office. Yeah, yeah, you know, right, yeah. Without an office, you have no dental yeah, office. Yeah, yeah, right? right. I know. That's it's it. Just man. dental. I like that. It's Your a real great estate's joke, important. I, I, yeah, yeah. Right. I I, uh, I uh, totally agree. And as we uh, move down uh, towards the finish, what is the um, top reason or the first thing that dentists should look out at? look out for when they're doing a buy-in. All right, so this is sort of manifest itself. It can in a, in a written documentation way and also from a personality and cultural way. And that is 
control, right? right? And, and control comes up in a lot of different ways, a lot of different contexts. So, you know, as somebody who's buying in, if you're merely buying in 25% in your buy-in, you're owning 25% where somebody else owns 75%, you do not have control of what happens yeah. in that practice. The practical reality is even when you buy 50% from somebody who has been there for 30 years and whose staff is loyal to them yeah. and who has been used to, to running the place on their own, it's going to be very hard for that person to step aside and truly uh, allow the, the dentist who's buying in to be able to make decisions and effectuate change in that practice and to put their personality and their stamp on it. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually can give some value here. I really believe strongly that they should, that both parties should have, hire like a management or personal, personnel consultant, maybe outside of dentistry, to give both of them some behind the scenes coaching. Because I've had that in my own practice where I was just trying to get our patient care coordinator, who's wonderful, to handle all the vacation requests. and. We got a lot of, cons you know, our consultant came and told me, you know, you just got to say, you got to ask Kate about that. You got to ask Kate about that. And I said it enough times where I changed our culture where nobody tries to do an end around like in football and get to right. me and say, hey, can I have a Cinco de Mayo off? Well, it's my yeah. favorite holiday, but of course you can. No, but, uh, and I really believe from the, and that's a very difficult thing because the dentist has been there as the main guy for 30 years. It's tough on him. It's tough on the new person. And the, and the team, just like, you know, a lot of times we see with, with, with kids, you know, uh, they're very crafty, and they're, they can uh, they can sense how to get their way sometimes when two people are on the same page. You know, I have a daughter, Daphne, and she's like, "Can I have this ice cream?" And I want to say yes, but I'm like, "Did you ask mommy?" And she's like, "No." And that, now I'm in a weird scenario, but we're on the same page. And yeah. In a dental office, what happens in a dental office is usually one person's just distracted. They're working on patients. They're doing this, and something happens behind the scenes. They come out from their patients. Like, oh, why did you let Jenny have? Uh, Christmas Eve off. He said, well, it sounded like a good thing to say. He said, oh, no, it's not her turn to do it. So that's actually, I think, such a great point you bring up. But as someone who's worked in a multi-partnership type of scenario, I think the person who's not used to that, especially the old dentist, needs to get some coaching so that they can present themselves on the same page. Yeah. And, well, huh. and if you want to be coached, a lot of people don't. You know? Yeah, It's not true. uncommon that a lot of people, here's a, here's a big surprise here, Paul, <laughs> they want to get the money but they don't actually want to give up anything, right? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to dentist. sell half my that's, practice. That's a TST. That's yeah. a dentist, yeah. And we'll, we'll see, and this is the way it manifests itself in, a, you know, in the legal documents where the dentist that's buying in, you know, specifically said, like, they do not have the ability to make decisions. You know, it's yeah. like, well, wait, if you're paying for half of the value of this practice, why aren't you allowed to make decisions? Like, right, what, yeah. what are you doing here? So, you know, you need the ability and you want to be careful from a legal standpoint and a document standpoint but only just also from a personality standpoint. Yeah. You know, if, if I buy into this practice and I buy half of it, am I, am I really going to be able to have say in this? Is this really going to be partially my practice? Or is this just a really expensive associateship for right, me? Yeah. Right? So and then what goes along with that too is when you talk about control is the ability to buy the rest of it, to be able to buy out that doc. You don't want to be in a situation where you're 50-50 partners with somebody who, you know, from the ages of 65 to 82, right, you yeah. know, like, hey, I thought I thought she was going to retire. And wow, that's 10 years. <laughs> yeah, right, and we're yeah. still chugging here, you know, and I wish I had the ability, you know, when I bought into this, it was my understanding that I, this would be mine someday. Yeah, you know, know? It's, it's just such an important point. And they realize because I especially for the older dentist, like you, what you said is like, they're not ready to change, but they want the upside part and they have to 
you know, sometimes I get a call from someone who's, you know, wants to sell their practice in three years. They said, should I bring a partner on now and then sell it? I said, why would you do that to yourself, right? I mean, you know, it requires such a shift in how they operate every day that, you know, I, I think you've delivered a lot of great value to our, our listeners because these things to watch out for are the things that people don't really talk about. They talk about the good part, you know, share, covering vacation or having someone ask questions to, which is a good part of having right. partners. I have a partner and I'm related to them and, you know, that... Uh, we have an awesome partnership, but it's it's not easy to just like running a family. You're running something that's not easy to run, and being on the same page. And also, life situations are important too. Like, you know, if somebody is is single and someone has a family, that could be an issue when you want the single person to always work every holiday. That might not be fair. You know? right. So there's just so many little nuances to look into. Yeah, and there's the expectation. I think, and I've had this conversation recently with a few clients, and it's funny how things kind of cycle yeah. through in the similarities, where they thought bringing somebody else on would make their life easier. And because that person could cover for them. And the same thing, well, it's nice that they're there, but both of you might want off at the same time. But you know, I think we've both seen this in our own businesses. When you just add people, it doesn't necessarily mean that those people are going to take things off your plate. It means that now you are part of something that just got bigger, Yeah. right? right. And yeah. so some, in some respects, some things get taken off your plate, but now new and bigger things landed on your plate. So it's not always a, uh, you know, a zero-sum game. You know, plug this person in, and I've got half the responsibility. I work half the time, and I make the same money, as you know, yeah, no, no way in the world. It's, it's, that's, that's the nice thing. So I think, you know, just that what we dug into is, is awesome for the listeners, and it just goes back to being purposeful, uh, making good decisions, like you say, and consulting with some good advisors. Before you make anything, you can't walk back, right? So right. before you say to somebody, hey, no one forgets what you say, as we see all the time. So before you say to an associate, I definitely want someone to buy in here. Maybe, you know, talk with your accountant, talk with your attorney, talk with a consultant so that you really understand what you're getting yourself into before you offer to somebody. Yeah, that's great. Great advice. Let's, uh, I think we can leave everybody on those terms and thanks for tuning in and hope everyone uh, comes back next time. Yeah, thanks guys. See you next episode. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with the Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on the dentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.